So there's this, the, the attorneys are listening and go, well, that's fine for you, Mike. You sold your practice. You're living the life now. What about me? Like, what did, so what did you do when you were in the thick of it? What was your disciplined habits that you did in the thick of it to keep your mind right, to keep you disciplined, to keep you focused? What did you do then? Actually, it was fairly similar. I had a very clear morning regimen. I mean, I read the book, The 5 a.m. Club by Robin Sherman. Now, I'm not a big fan of getting up at 5 a.m., trust me. me. <laughs> but I did like the idea of, you know, 20 minutes of meditating, 20 minutes of some sort of exercise, get your blood going, 20 minutes of, you know, journaling or reading. And I was pretty consistent with that. You know, that was kind of just taking care of my person. And then I had a pretty clear idea of what my week. So I would plan my weeks out in advance. And then I would, you know, I knew the big appointments. I knew the court appearances that I had to do. I knew the meetings that I had to do. And then I would figure out where to put the other pieces so mm. that I could get everything done and be done at a reasonable time, six o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon, because there was tomorrow, you know? So it, it was really focused on what, you know, the Eisenhower box, right? The, the important but not urgent stuff. I, I tried to keep my efforts there as much as possible to avoid having it become urgent. So, and then the other thing that became really big for me is the willingness to say no. The willingness to say, I'm not going to take this client. I'm not going to do that task. I'm not going to join that club. I'm not going to, you know, to really control <clears throat> my time so that. The, the folks that actually hired me and that I accepted, because when I do intakes, my attitude is, yeah, you got to decide whether you want to hire me, but I got to decide whether or not I'm willing to gift you my time. Hey, law firm owners, welcome to the Your Practice Mastered podcast. We're your hosts. I'm MPS. And I'm Richard James. And Michael, I got to tell you, I'm so excited about today's conversation. Not only are we going to get great nuggets and some great storylines, but I get to talk to somebody that I actually consider a friend, both him and his wife, Mike Chastain, and his wife, Elisa. And they came into our world at one point, and now they've transitioned out of our world and sold their practice and live in the life of their dreams. And I'm just, I'm so proud of them. It sounds crazy, but I am. I'm proud of them. And, and I'm just excited to have this conversation. So Mike, thanks for being on today. Oh, it's a real pleasure. It's really nice to see you again, Rich. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. It has. Are you still skiing? Oh, as much as I possibly can. Just got my season pass for this year up here at uh, Ski Santa Fe. Nice. Awesome. I Michael, you don't like skiing very much, do you? Every time I've tried to ski or snowboard, it's resulted in an injury or anger. So <laughs> I, you know, I have just come to learn that's... <laughs> Probably not my thing. <laughs> Mike, Mike, Michael, MPS, he was the guy that you used to have to take down on the sled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's not an exaggeration. Literally, <laughs> that did happen. Yeah, quite, quite the story. <laughs> well, hopefully it was a good um, ride anyway. Uh, yeah, for sure. It, it got a nice breeze going down the mountain, you know. Um, <laughs> so Mike, to, to kind of kick things off a little bit, uh, obviously we, we like to get the audience to know you a little bit more. What, what's something that maybe not everybody knows about you? 
Well, that's, that's an interesting question. I've been a fairly open book. You know, I've been an avid av- uh, athlete my entire life. And my wife and I met as ski patrollers in California. I mountain biked last night with a, a group of guys up at 9,000 feet, which was quite the challenge. But I think the one thing that maybe a lot of people don't know is I do a lot of writing. I mean, I've written six books now, and I've got a book that is about to go to the editor. So, you know, that's been a real interesting part of my life uh, is just writing. So I really enjoy that. Yeah. Your wife actually writes too, right? So she's a published author with her first novel. You said she's working on her second one right now. Yeah. She found a great woman to do some editing with her. She actually worked with the curator for George R. Martin's books to go over her storyline and help her with that. So she's really found some people to help her out. We're real excited about the second book. Yeah, so hard. I mean, I have a hard time. When I wrote my first parable, I had a hard time remembering the people, the characters, kids' names that were like Billy and Jean, right? Her characters' names are not Billy and Jean. They are anything but that, right? And so very challenging. Now, in your writing, have you been writing mostly for the law firm now, or has you been writing for other things as well? Mostly for the law firm, I wrote Legalese, The Ultimate Guide on How to Survive a Law Practice. And it occurred to me that I set the bar way too low. Survival is not the, the, the end game. So the new one is how to achieve mastery in a practice. From, I love it. You, you know, really focusing on the long game, you know, recognizing that, you know, it takes 30 years to be truly to be uh, a master at the craft of practicing law. So, you know, I work with the a lot of younger lawyers who kind of think they got out of law school and the work's all done. And I'm like, oh, you have just started. So that's really what it's about. And taking care of your physical health, your mental health, and being open to, you know, all the changes that are coming. I mean, AI, who knows what that's going to do, but it's going to change something. And so, you know, being open to those things. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, it's there, it's coming. And so it's going to be very interesting to see what that does in the legal world. Now, you've had the opportunity to actually sell a firm, which is pretty awesome. But I'm curious, as far as the broad strokes go, you've had an entrepreneurial journey as a law firm owner. Why don't you tell them a little bit about that journey? Some of the high notes, maybe some of the low notes, just a little bit more. Sure. So just to kind of give the real broad stroke, graduated from law school in 1985, went to the public defender's office because I wanted to get trial experience, wound up staying there for 17 years. I kind of figured that was where I was going to be until I retired. But the Bay Area where we were in San Jose got kind of crazy with the dot-com boom in the uh, 1999, 2000. So we ultimately moved us to the Sacramento area joined a, a private firm. And then in 2007, I went out on my own. And, you know, as I've said before, at, at the time, I'd had great mentors in the legal field. I mean, I was very good at my craft. I'd done death penalty cases and, you know, every manner of serious criminal cases. I've been a criminal defense attorney my entire career. And I just thought that was enough. I just thought people would know, but that's not the case. So I struggled for a number of years, you know, doing good legal work, but struggling on the business side because I didn't have anyone showing me what to do. And what I found is that pretty much everybody I knew was in the same boat. They didn't know what they were doing either. And that's when I ran across Richard and and got involved in the Partners Club. And then, you know, we went from trying to figure out where the rent was going to come from to doing better than seven figures a year. 
having a very nice, you know, owner share. And then in 2021, I brought in a guy specifically to sell him the practice. I mean, that was the idea. We, we talked about it. He was interested. He came in and worked for me for three or four months just to make sure that it was a good fit. And then we signed on the dotted line. And, and so now I'm of counsel to the firm. So I still help him on the business side. I still, you know, assist on the, you know, with advice on the cases themselves, how to handle them, what to do in trial, all of those kinds of things. But, you know, I'm, I'm slowly stepping away from the, the practice and should be, you know, we'll see the, how it all works out. He bought it over time. So I'll be out technically in another three years, I guess. And then we'll decide whether I stay involved or not. So you're being, by the way, thank you for that, but you're being a little modest because I, I remember your journey and you, I, if I'm not mistaken, you were an EAY finalist two years in a row. Is that right? Or is it three years? You two were, years. You two were years, finalist, yeah. yeah. Two years in a row, right? And so your journey, I, I remember you, you saying to me, you know, oh, I just kind of want to get to so much dollars. I'm, we won't get into the dollars, but I, I only want to get to where, you know, I feel comfortable and that's about it. But then it just kept going. And so I, I want to give you kudos for taking your firm from where you were to where you are. Because when you first started, for, forgive me, Ron, I'm trying to set the stage for somebody else who's going through the same thing. I think you're, if I remember correctly, you told me it was like 2am, you're wondering, you're out there searching social media, you know, just blindly rolling through and you run across, I think, one of our ads for a book or something like that. But you were at that point really wondering what the heck you were going to do next about your practice. Is that fair? Is that a correct statement? That's absolutely correct. You know, I was I was literally sitting in my office. It was probably seven or eight o'clock at night, staring at the phone, just trying to will it to, to ring because I had no system set up. And right. the, the funny part is it wasn't your ad that I came across. It was a competitor of yours. Great. I got his book and, and his first name was Richard as well. And I couldn't remember his last name. So I Googled Richard attorney mentor or something along this and you popped up. And so, <laughs> Hey, best, thank goodness for best, SEO. <laughs> yeah. The best mistake that ever could have happened. But uh, yeah, it was a real struggle because as I said, I had this illusion that I was really good. I mean, I was, you know, uh, on the best lawyers of America list and super lawyers and all of those accolades that you get. But the public doesn't know. They don't care. And if you don't market in any real way, and you know, it, it doesn't translate into income. And that yeah, was funny. I, that story of willing the phone, I can remember being there. So not in your office, but in my own office when I owned funeral homes back in, in the 90s. And I believe that I was the very best funeral home and funeral director in our town. And I knew that if I could just have a funeral contest with another funeral director in town, I could prove that I was the best and everybody would want to come to us because we were the best. And I can remember sitting in my office and the phone's not ringing, literally looking at it, willing it to ring because payroll was right around the corner. I remember having dinner with my grandmother who lived across the hallway from me above the funeral home and because dinner was always ready at five o'clock and she could see that I was a little down and she would say to me, what's going on? And I would tell her, she goes, well, you know, we've got a stack full of files of people who were prearranged. She goes, and I got your grandfather's rifle up in the attic. She goes, we could facilitate this process if you really need me to. 
Yeah. <laughs> that is actually a true story. Thank goodness grandma's not on this earth anymore to be prosecuted along those lines, God forbid. <laughs> but she, that, you know, so I know what you felt like at that moment. Like, what do mm -hmm. I got to do besides being the best at what I am to make the phone ring, right? It was frustrating. Right. You just think you should just be good enough to be good enough. And that should make the job happen. But it's just not a reality, correct? Well, and I think there was a time when that was true, you know, when okay. there wasn't, you know, over a million lawyers around, and especially in California, you know, they're just everywhere. So it, it was probably much more referral based, but that's not the reality today. And it hasn't been the reality for pretty much the entire, you know, since the early 2000s. So yeah, for sure. Michael, yeah, sorry, I stole I, the, some of your questions. No, I, I think it's a really important point because I think there's a lot of law firm owners that listen to this that may be in that spot that they too feel, well, you know, I'm the best at what I do. Why aren't leads coming in? Why aren't people retaining our firm, right? So I, I believe that's a very common trend in law and particularly because you go to school to become a master practitioner of your craft and you continue to grow in that craft and you have mentors in the legal space that help you continue to grow. So I, I just think it's a very common feeling. But Mike, I'm, I'm curious along the journey because you've obviously had a lot of high points and we just heard maybe a point where you were willing the phone to ring. But where would you say in that journey you had a, a challenge point or a low point and you took something from it? Boy, you know, I think for me, it was just kind of hitting the, you know, what I considered rock bottom when I, I just couldn't take the idea of, you know, worrying about how to pay the rent every month, how to pay the mortgage. It was causing stress in my personal life. It was causing stress in the family. It was, you know, it was just that tipping point where I had to do something. And I'd never, I'd always been a big fan of having mentors. I was very fortunate in my legal career. And so I just started you know, being open, you know, they say, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And that's really what happened when I was ready to do it. And, you know, I appreciate the kudos that you gave me, Rich, but I just did what you told me to do. You know, if I was going to pay for it, I was going to do it. So, well, we, you and I have had this conversation off channel, Mike. There are a lot of people who pay us to tell for us to tell them what to do, and they still don't do it. Right. So, but you know, that's a conundrum. I don't understand why uh, anybody would, you know, not make the change if their firm's life depended on it. But sometimes it doesn't happen. So, while I appreciate that, you you had to take the action. But I am curious, and I think I'm going to pivot into Michael's next question, Michael. Yeah. What you know? Okay, so you hit rock bottom. To give them, so maybe they're sitting where you were then right now. That's where they are. They're listening to this, right? And they're going, okay, yeah, I was there. You did what I told you to do, fine. But like, what was the first thing that you think you did? Or was there a series of things? Like, what was the thing that has started to move the needle for you? If they want to make a difference in their practice tomorrow, what would you tell them to do? Yeah, so the, the, the first thing that you advised me to do, and, and I did, is I got a bookkeeper. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. prior to that, I was what I call a super solo. I did everything, including the bookkeeping. I did it poorly and I hated it. And it was sucking up about 10 hours a week. You know, if you actually measure the amount of time, it's extraordinarily how long it took. So I got a bookkeeper and she's still the bookkeeper of the firm today. I mean, she's been great. So she's been with us for, gosh, 15 years and she's done a wonderful job. And so I took all that off the plate and I just set it up so that I could review everything. So, you know, I look at the P&L every day. I look at the bank accounts every day. 
just to know exactly where things are and to try to head off if there's going to be a problem. So that was a really big thing. And then I think the next kind of leap was when you brought Mike Michalowicz on and he did the Profit First presentation. And I read the book on the way home and I'd been all in 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 that way. So from that moment forward, we began to make a profit. You know, before we were doing, you know, income minus expenses and then there's nothing there, right? I mean, that's really the way it worked out. Well, now, as soon as we made that switch, I mean, I run into the bank and I'm like, I want to open seven bank accounts. And the guy's looking at me like, what? <laughs> you know, and I said, well, you've read Profit First, right? You're a banker. You should know this. And, no, never heard of it. Well, that's what we're doing. We're opening up and you're not going to charge me, by the way. And they're like, okay. And uh, so instantly, you know, we started at 1%. By the time we got to the end, you know, we were at 7% of every dollar that came in went immediately into a profit account. And that adds up really quick when you're bringing in significant revenue every year. And I do think the one thing I should If you're doing a million bucks, there's 70 grand, 80 grand, you know, just every single dollar that goes in that profit account and you don't touch it. And it's, isn't it amazing? Like, and Mike McCallitz gets all the credit in the world for, for what he did and how he presented it, but just flipping the formula from, as you said, gross revenues minus expenses equals pretty much nothing, which is supposed to equal profit. But if you flip the formula and you do gross revenues minus profit equals expenses, it's amazing how that just small paradigm shift makes a massive difference in your financials. I mean, right. I find it to be. And I, I did it before Mike presented it, but I never presented it that way. And I just had my own renegade way of doing it. And when he presented, it was like light bulb went up. I'm like, oh, my gosh, everybody's going to love this if they just start right. doing it. Yeah, I always looked at it as, as it was expenses, less profit equals budget. OK, this, this is my budget. This is what I got to run my firm on. And, you know, and I just said, look, if I can do it on a dollar, I can do it on 99 cents. And if I can do it on 99 cents, I could probably do it on 97 cents. And so I sort of just worked my way down. And, and sure enough, it, it, it made a huge difference. And the other thing is, is that when you open the accounts, you actually can see where you are. If you have a payroll account, you know, do I have money in there to cover this payroll? And, you know, we tried to keep at least one payroll ahead. Do I have money in that holding account? You know, we had a holding account that, you know, during COVID saved our rears because we didn't have to go into debt, even though our income dropped significantly for a couple quarters because the courts closed. Right. So nobody was hiring. And we actually wound up having to shut down our DUI practice because all the bars and the restaurants were closed. So that took about a quarter of our revenue. So, and the good news is we knew, we saw it. We had the data to tell us, yeah, this was not making any money for obvious reasons. You know, nobody was, I mean, the good news is nobody was drinking and driving. The bad news is nobody was drinking and driving. So we, we had no clock. <laughs> right, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. If that's your but, business to help people that drink and drive, that's bad news. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. Blaine yeah. used to talk about, well, what are you going to do if, you know, when self-driving cars come around? And that always kind of stuck in my mind. I was like, yeah, that's quite kind of way off. But this was essentially the same effect. So we had to adjust the entire firm. And what we did is we just niched even further into other practice areas. And, you know, it worked really well. So, Michael, yes, there are so many lessons just in that one statement, right? I mean, yeah. 
just knowing, again, we say this all the time, but just knowing the numbers, the fact that he said this multiple times, read the PL every single day, knew where he stood, you know, knew where expenses were at, knew what was in the bank, had the holding accounts to have visibility to know what numbers were in which accounts. I mean, that alone makes a massive impact immediately because now you know. I mean, otherwise you're flying blind to an extent and you don't necessarily know where your numbers are at. So it's very difficult to make decisions on the practice if you don't know the data. Would you agree with that, Mike? Oh, absolutely. You know, we're, we're very much even still, you know, a data driven firm where decisions are made based on realistic projections based on, you know, what's going on. We know our PCLC, we know what, where the clients are coming from. We know what we can expect to bring in in a particular month. We know the value of every case that comes through. Yeah. And that really helps make uh, decisions. It's been one of the challenges since selling the firm of, you know, getting that information to the new owner because he occasionally will want to work on, he works on fear a little bit and I got to push him away from that. I told him he needed to hire a new lawyer because we needed more billable hours to replace the billable hours that I'm not doing anymore. And he dragged his feet for a while and you know, the numbers started to really drop. And I was like, dude, it, it really boils down to you don't have enough billable hours here. And as soon as he hired the, the new lawyer that they have now, man, everything went right back to where it was supposed to be. And that's been great for him. It's great for me. And, and it's great for the firm. So I want to speak to the person listening real quick, because I want to, I want to acknowledge something. So what I want to acknowledge is that what, what I love, and, and Michael and I've talked about this privately, that when we work with attorneys, the great news is, is that by the nature of who they are, they had to have a reasonable amount of intelligence, right? So they had to be reasonably intelligent, which means that when they're willing to get it and a light bulb goes off, it can happen very quickly, right? Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, you were you had the intelligence, you had the ability, you just didn't know exactly what to do. And of course, now you have all this data. But for that guy or that gal that's listening to you and going, okay, what data? What's this piece? Like, where should they start? Like, what's the first thing they should start measuring or besides the P&L and the profit we talked about? Like, if they're going to try to measure all of this, like, how did you start? Did you start with pen and paper? Did you start with an Excel spreadsheet? Did you get right into a CRM right away? Like, how did you and Elisa get this thing started? Yeah, so we started with just a spreadsheet and we began tracking every lead that came in, whether they were set an appointment, well, whether they were qualified, that has actually become a much bigger issue today than it was a few years ago. But whether they were qualified and, and for, for us, qualified was just simply, did they have a problem we do in a jurisdiction we do it in? Mm -hmm. So do they have a criminal problem in you know the greater Sacramento area? How many of those are setting appointments? How many of them are showing up and how many of them are hiring? And by knowing those numbers, you know where to put your efforts. So as, as a, an example, a number of years ago, our leads were great, our qualifies were great, our hire, sets were great, our shows were great, but our hire rate really dropped. And I began to, you know, after, you know, kind of stomping around a little bit, trying to figure it out. What I realized is I had gotten off script ah. and I was just kind of free forming it. And as soon as I realized that, I was like, okay, that's a simple fix. I went back on script and the numbers went right back to where they were. 
instead of like spending a bunch of time and effort on, you know, spending more money on marketing or spending more money or yelling at the staff for not setting enough appointments or whatever, I was the problem. And as soon as I recognized that, we went right back. Now, occasionally, if our sets drop, for example, and that's fairly common, we go right back to, okay, are you following the script? And almost I'd say 99% of the time, it's like, oh, yeah, no, nah, no, I'm doing it in a different order now. No, we got to go back and retrain. And and we Luckily, have very good staff. So it, it's really a lot of times just pointing it out. Hey, those numbers yeah. are dropping. Let's get back on script. I mean, it's not about whether they're good or not. It, it's you said it yourself. You're the best one in the firm. Like you care about it probably more than anybody else. And you fell off script, right? Mm -hmm. If we don't constantly monitor ourselves, Michael, this happens all the time in your world. You've got great salespeople that you train on yeah. a regular basis. But if they fall away, if they go off to the dark side for a while and think they don't need this, they might go 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And before you know it, they're coming back going, hey, my close rate fell, whatever. And yeah. you do one measurement with them. And what do you find? Yeah, exactly yeah. what Mike just said is we started going off script or altering the way in which we delivered it. And that's why accountability on a weekly consistent basis is so important. You've got to have measurement and inspection tools to make sure that's happening, right? It's just yeah. got to be there. It's funny. And one more story. Why not? So my son, younger son, Michael's brother, Justin, is decided to come and stay with mom and dad because he wants to save up a bunch of cash because he wants to go move to New York City again. Okay, great. Cool. We're happy. He's 23. Mom's loves having, you know, the son home again for a little while. I'm okay with it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so he's out knocking on doors selling solar panels because he had this gig in Arizona. They had an office here. So he's out knocking on doors selling solar panels. And he recognized his set rate was off a bit. He's knocking on a hundred doors a day, really tough gig. And his set rate was off. And I go, so last night I'm sitting with him, I'm talking with him and he goes, well, yeah, the, the last two, they were really solid, but they just wouldn't get me the bill. And I go, I thought we agreed we were going to set the appointment before you got the bill. And he goes, yeah, he goes, I just kind of decided to change it up. I go, how'd that work out for you? <laughs> Yeah. Right. And so it doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you're in an appointment setting or a sales model, you finding the formula that works and use it over and over and over again. And if it does, if it stops working, it's probably because we changed the formula to stop using the same formula. Typically, that's the reason. So, you know, it's universal. It happens to all of us, me included. Mm -hmm. And so it's I think that's such great advice. Mike. What I teach our oh, firm sorry. is that everything's a bell curve. Right. Yeah. As long as you're training, it goes up. The minute you stop training or you take your eye off the ball, it starts going down the other side. You got to build it back up. So and, and that's just the natural progression of things. So it is. absolutely, you know, you don't beat yourself up over it. You just get back on the horse. Just go do it again. That's correct. Yeah. Amen. At, that's life. That happens in everything we do in life. So just got to get back to it. Mike, I'm curious on a daily basis. Obviously, you got a lot of exciting things, a mix of work, fun, all that going on. But what are some of the things you do every day that help contribute to the sustained success, some daily success habits? Well, so I, you know, I have what I call my sacred seven things that I do every day. I, I meditate every day. I do yoga pretty much every day. I write in my journal. I play music, one of the several instruments that I play. I try to exercise every day. So, you know, that's kind of the, that's where I start. I have a few appointments, maybe a couple a week, not, not a ton. 
but it's really just taking care of myself, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually. You know, I, I, I'm kind of at, at that point in my life. I'm doing a lot of artwork out on the property. I do a lot of sculptures, you know, carving wood and doing stone stuff. So, I mean, that's kind of how my day has been. I, you know, the big changes, I, I think this is kind of interesting. I haven't worn a tie since March. You know, for somebody who for 38 years wore a tie every single day, except for the weekend, you know, that's been a big change. And, you know, the other change that struck me the other day is that I carry a knife everywhere. Everybody that I know around here carries a knife <laughs> because it's such a useful tool, right? <laughs> but for my entire legal career, I couldn't because I had to go through a metal detector five days right. a week, right? <laughs> so if you left it in your bag or whatever, you know, everybody would lose their mind. So it's just been kind of an interesting thing. I was like, yeah, I carry a knife. Can you believe it? I haven't been through a metal detector, I don't know, since March, I guess, last time I was actually in the courtroom. <laughs> that's great. I do have a, so let's bring you back. So there's this, the, the attorneys are listening going, well, that's fine for you, Mike. You sold your practice. You're living the life now. What about me? Like, what did, so what did you do when you were in the thick of it? What was your disciplined habits that you did in the thick of it to keep your mind right, to keep you disciplined, to keep you focused? What did you do then? Actually, it was fairly similar. I had a very clear morning regimen. I mean, I read the book, The 5 a.m. Club by Robin Sherman. Now, I'm not a big fan of getting up at 5 a.m., trust me. me. Either. <laughs> but I did like the idea of, you know, 20 minutes of meditating, 20 minutes of some sort of exercise, get your blood going, 20 minutes of, you know, journaling or reading. And I was pretty consistent with that. You know, that was kind of just taking care of my person. And then I had a pretty clear idea of what my week, so I would plan my weeks out in advance. And then I would, you know, I knew the big appointments. I knew the court appearances that I had to do. I knew the meetings that I had to do. And then I would figure out where to put the other pieces mm -hmm. so that I could get everything done and be done at a reasonable time, six o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon, because there was tomorrow, you know? So it, it was really focused on what, you know, the Eisenhower box, right? The, the important but not urgent stuff. I, I tried to keep my efforts there as much as possible to avoid having it become urgent. So, and then the other thing that became really big for me is the willingness to say no. The willingness to say, I'm not going to take this client. I'm not going to do that task. I'm not going to join that club. I'm not going to, you know, to really control <clears throat> my time so that the, the folks that actually hired me and that I accepted, because when I do intakes, my attitude is, yeah, you got to decide whether you want to hire me, but I got to decide whether or not I'm willing to gift you my time. A great attitude. Yeah, I'm well, you know, and, and it takes a while when you're, you know, I'm 63. I'm not that old, but I got more days behind me than in front of me. So I'm much more stingy with who am I give, giving my time to? And I've, I've had that attitude for a number of years. You never know. You, you The way you take care of yourself, you may make it to 126. Uh, you know, knock on wood. But <laughs> yeah. you know. I, I, I mean, speaking of AI, I, I listened to an AI interview with uh, uh, a couple of different people through the Ed Milet show. And, and one of them actually believes AI is going to help us live till 130, 140. And I'm like, Oof, man, that is, that's tough to even think about. But, take care yeah. of your body, though. You know, yeah, right. 
Got to take care right. of yourself. That's the key. Got to take care of your body. Mike, what's got you fired up today? What are you excited about? Could be personal, could be business. Well, so, you know, on my calendar, I, I'm, I'm meeting with a client this afternoon who's doing really well. He's trying to figure out a way to retire. I have a facial at 1.30. That's super fun. And then <laughs> I'll be playing some guitar. I, I'm taking a songwriting class at the community college. And so I've got people coming over on Sunday from that group, and we're going to work on our, our music. And that's right now, that's kind of the thing that's driving me. I really enjoy it. I, I hope somebody's soul just got filled up by hearing you talk about your passion project outside of the business and how you were able to get your business and use all these techniques to get to where you are. And now you can pick and choose the things that you're working on. And I hope somebody listening is going, that's what I want. And they take advice and they take the first step and they just take one thing that you said and implement one thing that you said. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm so happy for you. I, I well, truly I, am. I, I'm truly ridiculously over the top happy for you. I mean, this is the joy of my work to watch the end result of this. So, yeah, thank you. I mean, I would say this is doable for pretty much everybody. I mean, you just have to, you know, you just have to be disciplined. I mean, discipline is a big part of it. But um, if you know where you want to go, you know, th this house, we manifested it. I mean, basically, I had written out what I wanted this home to be like. And before we even knew that we were going to move to New Mexico. And because we put energy in it, you know, as Blaine says, white table, you know, what you think about, you bring about. And that's what we did. We just made it happen. I love it. That's awesome. I love it. That's fantastic. Well, Mike, we appreciate everything you shared today for giving everybody that glimpse of hope of what's possible. I, I think this was a great example of that. And we, we just want to thank you for taking the time to, to be on with us today. Hey, if oh, they wanted to get a hold of you, Mike, how would you like them to do that? So the, there's two, the one way you can go onto my website, Mike at, or I'm sorry, uh, michaelchastain.com. And it talks about some of the things that I do, or you can just send me an email at Mike at Chastain.com. Those will both get to me and I'll respond. And if I can help out, great. Or if you just want to find out what else is going on. I mean, the, the, and the other thing I would just say is I've been on a number of podcasts and I've talked about the story and expanded on it. So those are all searchable. If you just want more information about things that I'm doing. And, and then I also have a Facebook page where I post pretty regularly. Sweet. Well, Mike, awesome. I just want to say thank you for being on, as Michael said, and, and, Tell Elisa I said hello. Give her a big hug That's for good. me. I, I I miss you guys for sure. We don't see each other nearly enough. I I, I need to obviously come to your ranch and carry a knife. That's what I need to do. We'll, we'll, <laughs> I'll put we'll you to work. some wood and have a good time. But you know, again, congratulations to what you achieved. And Michael, what action do you want them to take if they like what they heard today? Yeah, I mean, look to the law firm owners listening. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, you got that glimpse of hope. Go ahead and do me a favor. Make sure to hit that like button. And depending on the platform you're listening or watching on, hit that subscribe button or that follow button. Turn those notifications on so that way you never miss any content like this. And amazing attorneys like Mike Chastain here. But Mike, again, we appreciate it. And to the law firm owners, thank you very much for tuning in to another episode. Great. Thank you very much.